Lord Jesus, you are worthy of it all, and we praise you this morning, and we thank you that you are on your throne in glory. Some may trust in horses, some may trust in chariots, but as your word says, we will trust in the name of the Lord our God. For it's in Jesus' mighty name I pray. All God's people said, amen, amen. You may have a seat. Man, y'all are looking great this morning. Y'all are looking great in Steve's classic burgers. <laughs> so wonderful to see you guys. Um, you know, a lot's happened this week, <laughs> needless to say. Um, so Steve put the, our Bible passage this morning up on the board. This is the verses that we'll be studying this morning, Matthew chapter 10, verses 24 through 42. And what we're looking at this morning, we're continuing our verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of Matthew, and we're looking at discipleship. We're looking at discipleship. But uh, the title of my, uh, my sermon this morning is Do Not Fear. And this passage that we're studying, and I'm going to show it to you why. I'm going to show you why in a minute, why I, why I titled it Do Not Fear. But just to start off with, last Sunday we had an amazing service, and then Sunday night at Calvary Chapel Irmo, we had 29 young adults at our church. Yeah, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. We had 29 young adults at our church, feeding them uh, dinner and then getting into the Word and studying the doctrine of the Trinity. And so we left there Sunday night, man. We were, we were on cloud nine spiritually. We were just praising the Lord and rejoicing, and it was so exciting to see all these young people coming out to get into the Word. And then Sunday night, I got the phone call. Oh, excuse me, Monday night. What did I say? Sunday night, excuse me. Monday night, you know, we got the notification that, that red beans and rice was on fire. And, you know, I experienced a level of fear I haven't experienced in a long time. I was like, whoa, I cannot believe what was happening. Now, the Lord reassured me very quickly that, you know, that, uh, you know, we are the church. The building's not. It's going to be fine. And, uh, but anyway, there was, that, there was that fear that I experienced. And so that happened Monday night. And then Tuesday morning, as I was getting ready for my sermon to start preparing for the teaching, I turned to Matthew chapter 10. And hopefully you're there in your Bibles. Look at Matthew chapter 10. Look at verse 26. Look at the opening words. Therefore, do not fear. Skip down to verse 28 in your Bibles. Do not fear. Then skip down to verse 31. You know, we just go chapter by chapter, verse by verse. But God in his sovereignty had it where we'd be studying this passage. Look down at verse 31. So, do not fear. And it brought such great joy to my heart as God was reminding me by the Holy Spirit um, Monday night and through the word on Tuesday morning, do not fear. Do not fear. Everything's going to be okay. God is in control. And we're going to still... Preach the word, teach the word, make disciples, reach out to the community, and we're going to do everything that the church, that the body of Christ is called to do. And we're not dependent on a building. We're still going to evangelize. We're still going to reach. We're still going to worship. So in that, rejoice. Now, the fear that's being talked about here in Matthew chapter 10 is, is, is um, Jesus is going to teach us this morning we are not to fear adversity, persecution, or the ungodly rulers of this world. That's what he's talking about here in Matthew chapter 10. So if your allegiance is to Christ in his word, you know, I'm telling you right now, 
you will face opposition in this world. It will come your way. Uh, Matthew Henry said this. Matthew Henry said, Christ's followers cannot expect better treatment in the world than their master had. If they persecuted Christ, they will persecute his disciples. They crucified him. They nailed him to a tree. So if, they crucif- if, they, if, if he was persecuted, we can't expect anything different. If he faced adversity, we can't expect anything different. So with that thought in mind, let's look at Matthew chapter 10, verse 24, um, verse by verse. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you, Lord, for your word. I pray, God, as we study it now, you will teach us and let your word soak deep into our hearts. In Jesus' mighty name I pray, amen. All right, Matthew chapter 10, verse 24 says, A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a slave above his master. You see, a disciple submits their life to Christ. A disciple submits their life to his word and to his standard. Why? Because his standard is right, pure, perfect, and holy. That's why we submit, because God's ways are perfect. His word is perfect. He is perfect. But when you choose to live by God's word, don't expect the world to applaud you. Don't expect the world to clap their hands and say, Yay, you're following Jesus with all your heart now. It, won't, it doesn't work that way, especially when you speak out against sin and you speak the truth in love. It can be a very difficult life as we stand for the truth. Listen to what Jesus said in John chapter 15, John chapter 15, verses 19 through 20. Jesus said these words, If you are of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. And in John 15, he repeats the same phrase that we see in Matthew, which is in John 15, 20. A slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. So the only way to avoid this persecution, this affliction, is if you keep your mouth quiet. But if you're faithful to Christ, and you stand for his word, and you live your life for him, and you're not ashamed of the gospel, you will face heat. And I think that's good sometimes. I think that's good heat that every Christian should experience. Because what it does, it puts leather on our back. It toughens us up. It makes us strong in the faith. And that's what we need. Every believer needs some of that in his life. But again, verse 24, the key word is not above. Okay? A disciple is not above his teacher, uh, nor a slave his master. Um, And look at verse 25. Verse 25 says, Is it enough for the disciple that he become like his teacher and the slave like his master? You know, looking at that verse... What I pull from that is this. We do not conform Jesus to our life, okay? We don't look at Christianity and wrap it around the way we live, meaning meaning you don't don't tell Jesus how you're going to live, okay? It doesn't work that way. He tells us how we are going to live. And what do we do? We humbly follow We say, Lord, we love you. We look at, as you become a believer and you trust in Christ and you get into the word of God, you begin to love God's law. You begin to love God's truth. And you love Jesus so much that you say, Lord, I want to follow your ways. 
And when your ways in your carnal state before you come to Christ, when they don't align with what the scripture says, you bow your knee. You bow your knee. And you do it not out of a, out of legalism, but you do it because you love Christ. And you love his word. And you say, Lord, I want to follow you. And Jesus says that we follow him by following his word. Halfway through verse 25, let's, let's, we, we cut verse 25 in half. Look at the second half of verse 25. He says, if they have called the head of the house of Beelzebub, how much more will they malign the members of his household? Beelzebub. I'm, I'm, yeah, is, that is a title um, of Satan. That is a title that was attributed to Satan back in their day. The, 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 the name means Lord of the Flies. Are you ready for this? Look it up. Lord of the Manure Pile. That's what that phrase means. It means Lord of the Manure Pile. It was used by the enemies of Jesus against him. Just that definition of that word alone tells you what their view of Jesus was. And you need to keep in mind, this wasn't the world that was speaking to Jesus and calling him this name. It was the Pharisees. It was the religious establishment of the day. So even the Christian who follows Christ and follows his word, he will even face persecution even from the religious institution of the day. It defined their hatred toward Jesus. They hated Jesus because he spoke the truth and he called out their religious hypocrisy. He told them Pharisees, he said, you brood of vipers, you whitewashed stones. He said, on the outside you're clean, but on the inside you're dirty with your hypocrisy. And when you stand for the truth today, Christian, even in the face of the religious institution of day, they will not like you. They didn't like Jesus. They will not like us at times when we speak the truth. Verse 26. It says, here, here's the first one. The first one, do not fear. Therefore, do not fear them, for there is nothing concealed that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. You know, bottom line is, Christian, we do not fear persecution. We do not fear hardship. We do not fear those things in this life that cause us difficulty for following Christ. We should not follow them. Jesus warned us in, in the Gospel of John. He said, you will face persecution. You will face tribulation. You will face difficult times. But stay firm in your walk with Christ. Continue to serve him with all your heart. Continue to love him with all your heart. Follow his word with all your heart, even in those difficult times. And uh, verse 26, God sees everything, and he will expose all darkness. He knows everything. And one day, he's going to lay everything bare. Okay? Your secrets, my secrets, the religious institution secrets, the world's secrets, everything. He, he's going to crack it open like a tin can. And he's going to look clearly and he's going to see everything. That's why it's best for us today just to be honest with him. Be transparent with the Lord. God, you see my heart. You know my heart. Where, where the areas of my heart where things aren't right, please help me, Lord. Please change my heart. You know, we all don't come into this Christian life with a heart that's just completely surrendered to Jesus. 
Many times, you know, a person comes to Christ, they put their trust in Christ, but there's areas of their life that the Holy Spirit has to work on. There's still some things in the world that we don't want to let go of, and what we need is the Spirit of God to change our hearts, to mold us and make us, to love the things that he loves. Why? Because he sees everything. He sees everything. So it's best just to be honest with him. Lord, I'm struggling in this area of my life. I'm wrestling with this sin. Lord, will you help me overcome it? Will you help me repent? You know, God will show you grace. I need to repeat that. If you confess your weaknesses, you confess those areas that you struggle, our Heavenly Father and His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, will show you grace. He will help you. He will help you so that you can be transparent before him. But again, he sees all things. Nothing is all going to be shown before the world, before him, whom we must give an account. Look at verse 27. Verse 27, Jesus says, what I tell you in the darkness, speak in the light. And what you hear whispered in your ear, proclaim upon the housetops. You know, as I was meditating on this verse this week, you know, I thought, man, this is our defense mechanism right here. This is, this is our defense mechanism right here. You know, we got to spend time in prayer. We got to spend time in the word. We got to spend time in fellowship. We got to have that intimacy with our Lord and our devotional life and in fellowship and in worship and in Bible study. And here's the deal, guys. What you learn in scripture, what you learn in your devotion, what you learn in your quiet time with Christ we stand on that truth, okay? And we proclaim it, as verse 27 says, on the housetops and in the light. This is where we stand. Once we know the word, understand the word, we say, Lord, I love you, and I'm going to conform my life to your standard and to your truth. That's our defense mechanism when it comes to fear. You know, we all experience fear. We all experience fear in life. We all experience some forms of persecution. We all experience some forms of, a, of affliction. We're, we're all in this together. But where do you run? Where do you run when you face the persecution, when you face the affliction, when you face the difficult times? It might not even be, it might not even be about your faith. It could be about your family. It could be about things that you're experiencing in life that have nothing to do with trusting in Christ. But where do you run in those times of affliction? Can I encourage you all, run to the Lord. Run to, run to Christ. He is mighty, and his ear is toward his children. He wants to hear you pour your heart out to him because he's an amazing God. I believe we are at verse 28. Verse 28 Yes, we are at verse 28. Um, verse 28 is, is the second, um, do not fear. Look at verse 28. It says, do not fear those who kill the body but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Okay. There are two types of fear in this world. Okay. There's the fear of God and the fear of man. You don't want to be, you do not want to live under the fear of man. You want to live under the fear 
in the reverence of, the all, of Almighty God. Who do you fear? Who do you fear? We're going we're gonna to dive into this a little bit. I'm going to do a little dissection of your hearts and hopefully let you guys see where you're at so you can examine your heart as I examine my heart this week. But who do you fear? Do you seek man's approval at the expense of compromising God's truth? Do you, do you seek man's approval at the expense of compromising your faith? That is called the fear of man. Or, this is where we want to be, do you seek God's approval regardless of what the world says? That is called the fear of God. Our, 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 our heart and our mind is consumed with our decision-making and how we live our life and how will God think of what I'm doing? Will this honor the Lord? Will this bring him glory? Will this bring him honor? Or is this my rebellious heart rebelling against him? The cure, here it is, guys. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, if, if you find yourself falling under the fear of man, which if we're honest with ourselves, I think every single one of us at some point in our walk, even after we've trusted in Christ, we've slipped into that. I know I have. We, we, we've fallen into that rut of the fear of man and not the fear of God. But if you find yourself <clears throat> under the fear of man, here's the cure. Here's the cure. Number one, realize this. Realize how big and how powerful God is. He spoke, and the universe came into existence. He is a big God, and he rules and reigns over this endless universe He's huge. He's big. What we need to do, what you need to do, what I need to do, what we need to do is magnify God for who he truly is and how awesome and how powerful he is. And once we realize how big and how powerful and how awesome he is, it will, it will greatly shrink and reduce our fear of man and we'll respect, we'll stand in, in awe of who God is. To, be, to fear God doesn't mean that you're scared of him, okay? That to, to fear God does not mean that you're scared of him. It means you stand in awe of him. You respect him and you revere him. You realize how holy he is. You know, um, the Bible, the angels cry out. We saw in Isaiah chapter 6, Revelation chapter 4, the angels cry out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. What other attribute of God in the Old or New Testament is repeated? Is repeated that talks about his attribute. We don't hear about love, 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 Lord God Almighty, or omniscient, 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 Lord God Almighty. But the Bible places a special emphasis on the holiness of God. That word holy, hagios, it, just, it means separate. He's not like us. How is he not like us? He is pure, he is perfect, and we are not. Okay? So he's without sin. He's pure. He's perfect. And when you understand the holiness of God, that will greatly reduce the fear of man because you think to yourself, man, one day I'm going to stand before him and I want to live to please my heavenly father. God alone, God and not man makes the decision on everyone's eternity. He holds the eternal destiny of every man in his hands, including ours. Help me, Lord, to fear you to stand in all of you, to respect you, and to love you with all my heart, soul, and mind. Let us walk 
in the Coram Deo, in the presence of Almighty God, knowing who he is. And let us fight against the fear of man and walk and stand in awe of the majesty and purity and awesome greatness of our Lord God Almighty. Let's continue verse 29. Verse 29, man, I I love this beautiful verse. Um, Are not two sparrows sold for a cent? And yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. Here's another reason why we don't fear. We don't fear because of God's intimate knowledge of you. Did you know that God knows you better than you know yourself? He knows every little detail of your being. Amen. Unfortunately, at times. I agree with you. I agree with you. Sometimes it's like, yikes. But he knows every detail of your being. He knows every detail of who you are. Physically, spiritually. He knows everything that you experience in life. And that should bring us great comfort. That should bring us great joy. That should, that, that should uh, cause us to not fear. Because friends and family, by your faith in Christ Jesus, you have a heavenly father in heaven who is your heavenly father. And he looks after you just like an earthly parent looks after their child. He cares for you. He watches over you. He takes care of you. He provides for you. And so that should greatly reduce our fear in life. Uh, I love the illustration, are not two sparrows sold for a cent? What song am I thinking of? There's an old hymn. Thank you. Has anybody ever, I heard a couple people say it. Has anybody ever heard the old hymn, his eye is on the sparrow? His eye is on the sparrow. It's a beautiful hymn written uh, about 120 years ago, but I'm going to read to you about his, this song called His Eyes Are on the Sparrow. Early in the spring of 1905, Sylvia Martin and her husband were traveling through New York, and they stopped to visit their friends, Mr. and Mrs. Doolittle. This is a true story. This is how this song came about. Mrs. Doolittle had been bedridden for 20 years. Her husband was in a wheelchair. Despite their affliction, they lived happy Christian lives, bringing inspiration and comfort to all who visited their home. During their visit, Sylvia's husband asked, what is the secret to your happiness and to your joy? They were blown away at her being bedridden, him being in a wheelchair, but they were filled with so much joy. How do do y'all have this joy considering your your circumstance? Mrs. Doolittle replied, his eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches over me. The beauty of this simple expression of boundless faith gripped the heart of Sylvia and inspired her to write the old hymn, His Eye is on the Sparrow. Now I want to read to you some lyrics from that song, His Eyes Are on the Sparrow. It's a beautiful song. Go home, YouTube it, listen to it, play it on your playlist, Spotify. It's an awesome song. But in the lyrics of the song, it says, Why should I feel discouraged? Why should the shadows come? Why should my heart be lonely and long for heaven and home? When Jesus is my portion, my constant friend he is. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches over me. I sing because I'm happy. I sing because I'm free. For his eyes are on the sparrow, and I know he watches over me.
Friends and family, the application for today is do not worry. You have a heavenly father. Do not fear. You have a heavenly father that watches over you and takes care of you. And just as his eyes are on the sparrow, his eyes are on you. I was watching TV yesterday. I think it was yesterday we were sitting around watching TV and they were talking about the Purple Martins that travel from South America. They come up here to Lake Murray and they perch on an island. He knows every bird. He knows, he gives them the ability to travel from South America to Lake Murray, South Carolina to, at the end of the summer for their final little nesting period. He knows creation. He knows nature. Friends and family, he knows you too. And he sent Jesus, his son, to die on the cross for our sins, to forgive us and to adopt us into the family and to take care of us just like he takes care of those birds. Amen? Amen. And look at verse 30. He's, dri- he's, dri- he's driving, Jesus is driving this point home about our physical well-being and our, our, our natural life here on this earth. Verse 30, he says, But the very hairs on your head are all numbered. Now, I imagine we have some people here that have blonde hair, brown hair, black hair, and red hair. Okay? And this verse, verse 30, it speaks of God. Some of us have no hair. <laughs> but uh, but the verse 30, it speaks of God's infinite knowledge of our natural state. And according to Healthline.com, if, if you have blonde hair this morning, you have an average roughly around 150,000 hairs on your head. If you have brown hair, you have an average of around 110,000 hair follicles on your head. If you have black hair, uh, you have roughly 100,000. If you have red hair, you have roughly 90,000 hairs. According to Healthline.com is where I get my source. The entire body from head to toe, from the top of your head to the bottom of your toes, we all have roughly 5 million hair follicles on our body. And God knows each and every one. The molecular structure, the makeup of every single hair on your body. He knows you intimately, deeply. He knows everything about you. He knows the structure of every hair. He knows every detail. He knows you better than you know yourself. Friends and family, do not fear. Do not fear. You have a heavenly father in heaven who knows you and knows you intimately. And and all he asks us to do is to surrender our life, to love him and trust him and live for him because he's an omnipotent, almighty, eternal God that knows everything. He knows every sickness He knows every disease. He knows every frailty. He knows our strengths. He knows our weaknesses. And that should encourage our hearts to not fear. Amen? Amen. Amen. Verse 31. He says, here's the final one. Verse 31 says, So do not fear. You are more valuable than many sparrows. Friends and family, I'm just driving this point home as Jesus is in this text. You are precious in his sight. Each and every one of you guys, old, young, uh, male, female, you are all precious in God's sight. 
Isaiah chapter 49, verse 16 says this about you guys. He has inscribed you upon the palms, upon the palms of his hands. How did he inscribe you upon the palm of his hands? At the cross. Your name is inscribed spiritually in the palm of his hands at the cross. Jesus, when he went to the cross in his deity, in his omniscience, he went to the cross with Richard on his mind. He went to the cross with David and Irene and and George and all you guys. He went to the cross with you in his mind, and he bore the price for your sin at the cross. And he inscribed your name in the palm of his hand. You are not a slave to fear. Do not, somebody needs to hear this, do not let fear take control of your life, okay? Christian, you have no reason to fear because God is sovereign, God is in control. Do not let yourself be bound by fear. Now, if you're outside of, now if someone's outside of Christ and they're not a believer, I can give you a million reasons to fear. But if you are in Christ, if you are in Christ, there is no fear in his perfect love. Walk in that truth. Walk in his love. Walk in his grace. And when fear comes knocking at the door, you say, you go the other way. I belong to Jesus. That's what you have to do. And resist the temptation to fear. But walk by faith. Amen? All right, look at verse 32. Verse 32 says, uh, this is a statement of solidarity, um, Verse 32, and let's look at verse 32 and 33. They go together. Therefore, everyone who confesses me before men, I will also confess him before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. Again, this is a statement of solidarity. And just to put it out there on the table, is Christ your Lord? Is Jesus Christ your Lord? Are you with him or not? You know, we need to make up our mind. We need to make a decision in, in our hearts and our minds. Lord Jesus, I'm going to serve you. I'm going to love you. And when persecution, difficulty, trials, fears of rejection, they can tempt us not to speak up. They can tempt us not to speak up or be silent when our faith is called into question. But God calls us to be bold and to be strong in the face of adversity. And we are called to not be ashamed of the gospel. Now think about this, okay? What's there to be ashamed about? I, okay, fear has struck my heart in the past in a public situation where I had to stand for my faith, okay? We, we've all experienced that, where there's been an opportunity in the public eye, and we've had to, we've, we, we've, our faith has been called into question, and we had the ability to, to stand up and speak the truth or deny it. But what's there to be embarrassed about? Give me one good reason to be ashamed of the gospel. There isn't one. It's the greatest act of love. It's the greatest act of truth. It's it's the greatest act of mercy and kindness that God has shown to us by sending Jesus to die on the cross, to rise from the grave, to be our Lord and Savior. We need to not be ashamed of the gospel. There's no reason to be ashamed of the gospel. Paul said in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Uh, 1989 90, I was working right here at St. Andrews in 26 at Chuck E. Cheese Pizza. 
And I remember I was in there washing dishes, and one of my one of my headbanging Guns N' Roses buddy came in. He's like, man, I got saved. And he started telling me about Jesus. And I was like, whoa, he's not got religion. He's not got religion. And I tried to stay away from him. And I thought, why? But he wasn't ashamed. But I was like, why? And it wasn't until I got saved and that God opened my heart it wasn't until that point that I realized how amazing and how beautiful the gospel is. And it was at that point I was like, I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is this gospel that causes us to tell other people and to stand on the truth of the word. So don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed. And when you're pressured, dig down deep and speak up for the Lord. Verse 34. Actually, verses 34 through 37, they all go together. Um, and this is talking about in the family, standing for, standing for the truth. He says, Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. For I came to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be the members of his household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. What Jesus is saying here is our allegiance to Christ, our love and our devotion to him should be greater than all. Okay? Even our own family, our allegiance, our love, our obedience to him is to be greater um, towards him than even our immediate family. You know, I love my wife. She is my best friend. And we're in this for life, and I can't think of anybody else. And I love her deeply. I love my children. I love my family. But that love is nothing compared to my love for God. And my hope and my prayer for my family and in your prayer for your family should be is that they love God more than they love you. Those are the best. That's a strong family. When son and daughter are committed to Christ above mom and dad. When the mom is committed to Christ first and then her husband. And when, then when the husband is committed to Christ first. You know, and that, that takes growth. That takes time. That takes understanding. That takes digging into the word and being in fellowship and growing in your faith. But as you grow in your Christian walk, you should come to a point where Jesus Christ has your first affection even above your own family. Verse 38. Verse 38, Jesus says, And he who does not take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. Now, this phrase in here, take up your cross, uh, I've heard a lot of people talk about that phrase. What does that mean? What does that, what does it mean to take up your cross. Here's what I believe it means to take up your cross. It means you're willing to pay any price for the sake of Christ. It's a, um, it's a willingness. You don't care. I'm going to live for Jesus. No matter what happens. No matter who does what or what happens in this world. I'm going to serve and I'm going to serve Christ all the days of my life. It's a willingness to endure shame. It's a willingness to endure embarrassment. It's a willingness to endure reproach. It's a willingness to endure rejection, persecution. 
and maybe not in our culture today, it could be coming, but for the first century, it was, it was even for death, death's sake, as the disciples were persecuted, and many believers throughout the uh, past 2,000 years have lost their life. But it basically, this phrase, take up his cross, is, means you're willing to do whatever it takes to serve Christ with all your heart. Think about this. When Christ came into this world, uh, being eternal God, um, I believe from the, from the moment of inception, he had one thing on his mind, and it was the cross. The second thing he had on his mind was you and I. As his whole life, his, his whole life wasn't wrapped up in his college degree or doing this with his life or doing that with his life. His whole entire existence was, this is going to end in 33 years and I'm going to be hanging on a cross because I love charity and I love all you guys and, and Ben and, and all of us here. He had us on his mind. He was focused. He took up his cross to take on his mission. And then he says in verse 39, it says, He who has found his life will lose it, and he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. So we got two people here in verse 39. The first person has found his life, but look at what it says. It says he will lose it. Who is this person? Who is this person in the first half? We're going to cut verse 39 in half. He who has found his life will lose it. This is the person who spends their life on themselves. This is the person who spends their life on on their pleasures. They will lose their life. Why will they lose their life? Because they're not making it count for eternity. They're not making it count for what's most important, for God, for family, in spiritual matters. But the second half of verse 39, he says, but he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. That's, you got to really break that phrase down. He says, he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. A person that loses their life is a person who spends their life serving Jesus. That's what, it, that's what that could boil down to. I could, Describe it in so many different ways. But what he's saying here, a person who loses his life, in other words, a person relinquishes, you take your hands off your life and you relinquish control of your life and you say, Jesus, you have my life. That's what he's talking about when it says you lose your life. You you let go of control and you say, Lord, you have my life. And Jesus says at the very end of it, look at the last three words of verse 39, uh, for, or five words, for my sake, they will find it. You know, I'm just I'm asking you the questions I was asking myself this week as I was studying this passage. You know, when I read verse 39, I was asking myself this week, David, what are you spending your life on? What are you spending your life on? Are you making it count for eternity? Now, don't misunderstand me. We need to go to college. We need to get an education. We need to get a job. We need to do those things that it takes to live out this life and hopefully live a long, prosperous, and blessed life. But we always need to keep Christ first in, in our college, in our, our employment, in our, in our family. We need to wrap our faith 
and our Christian faith around everything we say and do. And even your college career in business management or, or education or steel working or, or whatever it may be, wrap your faith around your career and it will count for eternity is what we want to do. Wrap your faith around the things of your family and it will count for eternity. Wrap the things in your life, uh, excuse me, wrap your faith around the things in your life and it will count for eternity. That's how you and I today lose our life and we find it in Christ. Let's wrap this up. Verse 40 through 42, our final section this morning. Verse 40, Jesus says, He who receives you receives me, and he who receives him who sent me. He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. And he who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. And whoever in the name of a disciple gives to one of these little ones even a cup of cold water to drink, truly I say to you, he shall not lose his reward. The key phrases, the key words in verses 40, um, verses 40, 41, and 42 is the word reward. Reward. And basically, verses 40 through 42 is about people who receive us and they, re- and they receive the truth of Jesus, whether it be through the prophets, the disciples, or even you and I, Christian. Not only do they, re- when, they when, when we witness and we share the gospel and people accept Christ and they put their trust in him, not only do they receive eternal life, forgiveness of sins, and new life in Christ, but guess what else they get? They get a new friend, you. Because they instantly, when they become a believer in Christ, guess what? They're part of the family. They're part of the family. Many of us in this room have, have no commonality in our backgrounds of this world, okay? Some of us are, are lawyers. Some of us are doctors. Some of us are metal workers. Some of us are military. Some of us are college students. But the thing that brings us together, the reward of the gospel, the reward that we receive from each other, which I think this text is getting at, is friendship and family that we're we're together. So not only do we receive the reward of being a Christian, but we receive the reward of friendship. And again, wrapping this up, my message this morning to you guys is do not fear. Do not fear the things of this world, but go out and live for the Lord Jesus Christ. He loves you. He cares for you. He's an amazing God. He's not after you. He doesn't want to destroy you. He's not up there ready to wipe you out. He's a loving, kind, gracious, heavenly Father that has adopted you into his family by the death of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he cares for you deeply. And let that love and that care that God has for you cause fear to go away. Do not fear. And as far as what happened with Calvary Chapel Irma this week with the Monday night fire and red beans and rice and our smoke damage, we're not going to fear. We're not going to fear. Because guess what? 
We got Jesus, and we got each other. And we got Steve's Burgers. <laughs> we got family. The outpouring of support from Steve and, and other ministries in the area has just been so incredibly amazing. And so I want to close with Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10. And just speak this over your life. Speak this over our church. Speak, speak this over your life. Speak this over your family. Speak this over our church. Speak this over our walk with the Lord. Let this be a shield around us. Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10 says, Do not fear. <laughs> I looked that one up, didn't I? <laughs> uh, do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be anxious. Do, excuse me. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with all, with my righteous right hand. He has us in the palm of his hands, and we praise him and thank him for that. Let us pray. Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord, for your word this morning. Thank you for this study of Matthew chapter 10 on discipleship. And Lord, help us all to take these words to heart. Lord, help us to do not fear. Do not fear. Know that we have a heavenly Father above who takes care of us, who watches over us, and is there for us. And Lord, there's nothing in this world that's going to happen that's going to catch you off guard because you know the past, the present, and the future. Help our hearts to trust and rest in your sovereignty. Help our hearts to rest and trust in your grace, in your provision, Lord, over our families. Help us, Lord, to wrap. First off, Lord, let's talk about ourselves. Let's wrap our own hearts in faith. Give us faith-filled hearts so we don't fear this world. Wrap our families in faith, God. Help us to place you first. Help us not to fear the things of this world, but to walk in your amazing grace. And when the things happen in this world that we see on TV and around us, help us not to be shaken because your kingdom cannot be shaken. So Lord, we love you and we praise you. I pray, Lord, your blessing over your people. And I pray when fear comes knocking, we'll look to you and you'll fill our hearts with faith, and we will not fear. For it's in the mighty name of the Lord Jesus we pray. All God's people said, amen.